0: Okay, good morning, Brookside. It's great to see you this morning. I hope you're having a, a great, uh, great weekend, and it's uh, just great to be—it's great to be together. Um, one of the things that uh, I want to do before we uh, really jump in this morning—it's uh, something that we started doing uh, probably, uh, maybe even about two years ago. We do this about once a quarter, and uh, we call it—we call it a family meeting, and it's just a time where uh, I'm able, or whoever's up here, is just able to give you a little bit of an update um, for us uh, as a church to know how we're doing, particularly on the financial front. So I do want to say to you, if you're a guest here with us this morning, you can tune me out. You don't hear many pastors like inviting you to tune them out, but I'm going to invite you. You can tune me out here. Go refill your coffee or, you know, text a friend or whatever the next couple minutes. That's fine. But what I want to do, if Brookside, if you call Brookside your church home, I want to just take just a couple of minutes here, and i just kind of give you an update. Uh, the last time that we did a family meeting, the last, uh, last quarter, um, I, I told you I wanted you to remember two words, and the words were these. Thank you. And uh, the reason why I said, hey, would you take home those two words was because we were just saying, church, thank you. You have been so faithful with your, your ties and your offerings and your generosity. It allows us to do everything that we get to do here as a church. We really have uh, three kind of ways that you can engage with Brookside on the financial front. We've got our general fund, which allows us to do everything that we get to do week in and week out. Uh, Then we've got this initiative that we're in at different times. Right now we're actually in an initiative called For the City. And so that's above and beyond, and that allows us to take new ground as a church. And then the last one, kind of primary ways, is usually toward the end of the year, we do what we call a year-end gift. And that's just a way for us to be able to bless either a project or a person or something like that, either in our city or globally, um, above and beyond again, just a a year-end gift that we do. This morning, I want to update you on our general fund. Again, our general fund allows us to do everything that we get to do week in and week out, all of the ministries. And so I just want to let you know a little bit about where we currently are. So as we uh, approached the end of 2017, we were actually running a little bit behind budget. And so we let you know that. We said, hey, we're running behind budget. We want you to know we're approaching your end End of 2017, you all rallied, and we actually finished the, the year uh, above budget. So this is where we've been <clears throat> if we just look at uh, quarters one and quarters two of 2018. So if this line represents our budget, think quarter one, think quarter two. Are you okay with our family meeting so far? It's going okay? I'll draw pictures. We'll, t- we'll get through it. Okay, so quarter one, this is kind of where we were. Great news. We were about 18% above budget. It was awesome. Very, very good job. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, we hit quarter two, we actually dropped to about 8% below budget. Uh, we didn't panic, no pastor's kids got sold on eBay or anything like that. We, we stayed the course. But then when we hit quarter three, and so that's where we currently are, is we're in Q3 right now. Uh, in quarter three, this is where we're currently at uh, year-to-date with our budget. We're actually uh, moving right along at about 2% above budget that takes us to where we're at today. And so, again, I just want to say to you, church, uh, thank you. Um, a guy said to me just recently, he said, you know, God brings in my resources and then God says, hey, I trust you to, to figure out how to best manage the things that I've entrusted you with. And I thought, man, you summed that up really well, that's what God does, right? And so, church, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. We all do, our staff, our elders do, to you as a church. You know, from my seat, I get to hear the stories of how God's changing lives. I get to hear them nearly every week. And I just want to take, once a quarter, an opportunity to to, to remind you, God's on the move, and thank you. Um, So many of you, we did a 90-day challenge at the beginning of the year, and so many of you said, I'm going to become a regular giver for the first time. I'm seeing the things that God has entrusted to me as not my own, but they're gifts from God, and I'm going to give back to the work of God. And um, you've seen the fruit of that in your own lives. And so, again, we just want to say thank you. Uh, it's uh, so important what you're, what you're doing, and it's having a huge impact in the lives of people, young and old. We see it in the next generation, but we see it all the way to the oldest people in our church. God's making a difference in their lives. And so, church, uh, thank you, and uh, that's the end of our family meeting. Give yourself a round of applause. Good job. That was a very weak round of applause you just gave yourself, but... Hey, I also want to celebrate with you. Uh, Last weekend, uh, we rolled out something that's just really exciting for us as a church, something that we're exploring. We're saying, God, would this be a new area where we could really take some new ground um, as a church? And so we talked to you last week about us providing a weekly church service down at the Douglas County Correction Center down at uh, DCC. And we asked an important question last weekend. We said, if Jesus were me, who would he see? Like if I had the eyes of Jesus, what kind of people would I engage in and with? And how would that direct my path in my life? And so we talked about that opportunity. And I just wanted to tell you, it was so encouraging uh, just to see your responses. Many of you, we had an email address, jailinfo at brookside.net that you could email and get more information. Uh, Many of you did. If you missed that, go online. You can watch the message, get all caught up on that. But we're excited to see where's God going to take us? How can we take the gospel to new places, to new people who've never heard it? Uh, if Jesus were me, who who would he see? Um, okay, so that's that's where we that's where we've uh, where we've been this morning. Again, you've heard it. Uh, we've said it now several times. New series. Uh, the series this morning is called Best News Ever, and um, I'm really excited for it. Uh, we're going to be going through the New Testament book of Luke in this series. And uh, let me ask you this question: Do you love to receive good news? Yes, yeah, that was easy, right? It's 9.30, you did really well on that, right? Do you love it? Yeah, it's, it's great, isn't it? Did anyone receive any good news this week? Anyone? You can raise your hand, I won't call on you, don't worry. Yeah, yeah, a couple of you did. One of you did, yeah, that's not bad, I guess. But isn't it great to receive good news? I love to receive good news. I mean, it just it makes your heart well up. It's just like, wow, can we get more and more good news? In this series, what we're going to see is this. We're going to learn about the gospel, The gospel uh, writer, Luke, uh, the physician, uh, he starts out the gospel this way. He tells us, he says, Hey, this is why this is the best news ever. He's gonna unpack it right away in the book of of Luke and, and, and right in chapter one. He says this He says, I have decided to write an orderly account. In other words, Luke, and he's a doctor. He's saying, I'm going to write a detailed account for you so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. And what Luke wanted us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt was what the gospel was all about. That word gospel, it literally means good news. And in the, in the gospel writer Luke, he wanted us to know, he wanted us to be deeply informed about the gospel. He wanted you to be able to know what is God's grace all about He wanted you to be able to know, okay, how do you stand before a holy God as a sinner and be declared righteous in the sight of God? How does that work? That's the gospel. Uh, He wanted us to know, well, what does it mean to be known by God? He wanted us to know, what does it mean to be able to walk with, in confidence with God? He wanted us to know, how does it work that Jesus speaks to me, that God's word directs me? He wanted us to know, what does it mean to do life with the creator of the universe? That's incredibly good news. It's the best news ever. I was at a funeral this week of a woman of faith, 92 years old when she died. She loved Jesus. This funeral was marked by the best news ever. And what I heard over and over again as this uh, service went on was about the transforming power of the gospel. It was so evident that the gospel had impacted her life. But as the service went on, it became so very, very clear that the gospel had also impacted so many other people. And the gospel writer, Luke, he's saying this, he's saying, I want you to know the transforming power of the gospel because it's the best news ever. And so our prayer is that as you would leave here each week of this series and pray your hearts out for this series, that you would go, I was reminded of something that's tied to the gospel, and the gospel's the best news ever, and so, Lord, teach me, lead me. This morning, we're going to look straight at Luke chapter 4, and uh, we're actually going to fast forward a little bit in the book of Luke. We're going to come back to those first chapters uh, later towards the end of the year. But in Luke chapter 4, what we're going to see is this. It's something that's so vital to the follower of Jesus Christ It's it's how do you live battle ready? That's what we're calling it. How do you live battle ready? How do you be the kind of person that you live in light of the gospel, but you also live in light of the fact that Satan would love for you not to understand the gospel, not to experience the gospel, not to lead others to experience the gospel? How do you live in light of the fact that Satan would love to knock you off course? Let me ask you this. Have you ever noticed that oftentimes the harder that you pursue the things of God, the more resistance in your life you face? That's not incidental, church. You set your heart. Some of you, you've set your mind. You've set your resources. You've set everything you've got on Jesus Christ. All of it. And you've poured your heart into it. Have you ever noticed that the more sometimes that you lean into it and you say, Lord, I want you to do significant things in my life. Lord, I long for you to do significant things through me and in me and in my church. Do you ever notice that the more you sometimes lean into that, the more resistance that you face? And so again, the question for this morning is this. If that is true, and it is, how do you become battle ready? What does it look like, church, for you to enter into a very real battle... A, a spiritual battle, and be ready for it. We're going to see in Luke chapter 4, Jesus does battle with Satan. And the devil is all, over say, or is all over Jesus, and they're interacting. And as they interact, it gives us insight, okay, how do I be battle ready? How do I walk through this rightly? So let's do this. Let's read our text for this morning. Why don't you actually stand up with me now? Let's read Luke chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 1. We'll go all the way through verse uh, 13. Jesus is about 30 years old at this time. He's entering into his public ministry. It says this, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. So he's fully God. He's fully man. It says, he left the Jordan and he was led by the the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Verse 4, Jesus answered, it is written, man does not live on bread alone. Verse 5, the devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world and said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it, give it to anyone I want. Verse 7, if you worship me, it will be all yours. And Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully, though they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him for an opportune, until an opportune time. Lord, this morning we just say, would you teach us through your word as we watch you do battle with Satan. And Lord, I pray that you would ignite in our hearts an awareness a real awareness, Lord, that there is a battle going on, and, Lord, we need to be equipped for it. So, Lord, would you speak to us? Would you teach us this morning? We are your students. We are your children. We are your people. And, Father, we thank you that we can gather here together. And we pray this now. Speak to us, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, let's work through this. Look with me at verse 1. It says, Jesus... Full of the Holy Spirit, and this is your first hint. If you're a note taker, you might jot this down. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the Spirit of God. So Jesus, it says, it says, full of the Holy Spirit. If you're a follower of Christ, you have the same Spirit of God alive and well in you. And it is the greatest weapon that you have to be ready for a battle. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, he says that he left the Jordan. We know from Luke chapter 3, Jesus was just baptized. It was a huge moment, galvanizing moment. And then he was led into the wilderness where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Now, I know this. This is no camping trip for Jesus and some buddies. This is not, I'm going fishing and hunting in the Rocky Mountains. This is Jesus in the wilderness in an area called Jeshimon, which literally means the devastation. It was a horrible place. Uh, The climate was rough and tough. The terrain was bad. It was a harsh place. It would have been a horrible place to spend one day. Would have been a much horrible place to spend almost six weeks. Can you imagine that? It wasn't like, hey, I'm going to go visit the forest for the afternoon and then retreat back to my nice hotel. No, it wasn't happening like that. Uh, I don't know about you, but I like food. I love to eat. I hate missing a meal. But imagine if you didn't miss just one. Imagine if you missed a day's worth. And not just one day, not just one week, not two, three, four, not five. But imagine if you missed 40 days of food. Imagine this as well in the wilderness. If the sole purpose of your trip was to be tempted by Satan. Would that make you a little bit anxious? That would be not a trip I'd be looking forward to. And know this, this was not like a junior varsity demon that's out there tempting Jesus. This was the devil himself, not an intern, not a hired hand. No, no, no. This was the devil himself. It's the one that, that's described in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. It says this: Be alert and sober mind. Be, uh, yeah, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. And then it says, resist him. In other words, church, pay attention. Be ready for the battle. Be battle-ready. Resist him, standing firm in the faith. Now, i got to be honest with you. I'm really comfortable going to the Henry Dorley Zoo with my kids and standing outside the cage of a roaring lion. Actually, I actually like it. It's fun, right? But let me tell you this. If all of a sudden, and I'm with them, and the bars go up and just disappear, I'm all of a sudden really questioning whether I'm equipped for this visit or not, right? Don't miss this. The scriptures are so clear that you, you face a battle if you're a Christian, You face a a battle against, and it's not against flesh or blood, it's against a spiritual enemy that opposes you. And in Luke chapter 4, Satan is going to try to derail Jesus from the mission of God, and that mission was to absorb the wrath of God, because there was a whole group of people of God that needed the grace of God. And that's you, and that's me. And Satan would have loved to have taken Jesus and said, get away from the mission, Be distracted from the mission that God has you on. If you want to be battle ready, it starts with being aware that there is a battle. And we're going to see in this text, we're going to see three tactics or temptations that Satan uses. And and then we're going to get, I think, equipped from the text. How how do you respond? Like, how do you live in light of this reality? Look at the second part of verse 2. It says that he ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, it says that he was hungry. That seems really obvious to me. I don't know about you. It would be the ultimate example of being hangry, right? You're so hungry, you're angry, right? I would be a blasted mess. But know this. Jesus isn't like on a modern or a suburban dietary cleanse, you know? It's not that. Jesus is fasting, spiritually fasting. And so what he's saying is he's proclaiming with his actions, God the Father, you are better than food, and I just want to hear from you. God the Father, I will take my ultimate delight in you and in you alone. But this would have definitely put Jesus in a tough spot. Have you ever been in a very vulnerable place? But yet, you're going to see this in the text. Jesus, in the midst of that, he, he becomes victorious. Again, it's why it's the best news ever. Contrast this example, what we see in Luke 4, all the way to Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve are in the garden. They have everything that they need. They're not vulnerable. But they're tempted, and what do they do? They fall, but Jesus doesn't do that here. He's victorious. Verse 3, though, watch what Satan does here, because he does this to you and I as well. Verse 3, it says, The devil said to him, If, key word, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Now look what's happening here. Jesus is being told A question. Hey, if you are the son of God, let me put some doubt in your mind. And we know what's just happened. In Luke chapter 3, what happened? Jesus was baptized. And what did God the Father do at his baptism? He proclaimed over him. He spoke truth over him. He said this, you are my son. Not if you are the son of God. God the Father said, you are my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. What Satan is saying here is this. Jesus, is it actually true? Jesus, are you really the son of God? Jesus, why don't you just question your identity a little bit? I think one of the greatest tactics of our enemy is this, that as he opposes you, as you seek the good plans of God for your life, I think Satan loves to speak lies into us. If you take nothing else this morning, take that away. One pastor put it like this, Satan will put question marks in your mind where God has already put periods and exclamation points. Satan will make you question who you are and who your God is. Think of some of the lies that Satan would love to speak into your mind. Maybe for some of you it's a lie like this. You don't have what it takes. If people only knew. Your broken story? Really? You think God's going to use that? You think you can actually be a part of that? You think you, you really believe that? to be? You, don't you know? It's too late. You've gone too far. You can't be forgiven. Nobody cares about you. You're a loser. You should just give up and walk away. Or this one. This is a big one. Your best days, you've already had them. They're behind you. My son, he was on my phone the other night, and he said to me, he said, Dad, why do you leave all these apps open on your phone? He said, don't you know what they're doing to your phone? He said, they're wearing down your battery quickly. I was having some battery issues with the phone. And he, and he was right. I left all these apps open. I didn't even know I had. But think about this for a second. The lies of self talk, the lies that sometimes you even say to yourself or Satan says to you directly, you know what those do to you? They slowly drain you, slowly drain you, slowly take you away from the things that God has for you. They slowly drain us of the cause and cause us to question what God has already made clear. And this is what God has made clear to you through his word. You are chosen. You are a child of the living God. God cares about you. The plans of God are greater than the purposes of Satan. Greater is he who is in you than who is in the world, 1 John 4, 4. If God is for me, who can be against me, Romans chapter 8. Our enemy, you've got to know this. He'll put a lot of ifs in your mind. He's a liar. But know this. Our God can overcome those with truth. So Satan, in this first temptation, he throws this to Jesus. He says, if you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Now, just a small factor, but notice this. The fast is over. So Jesus could have done that. He's committed to the fast, and it would have made sense, actually, for him to have just done that. There's nothing wrong with bread. This was before the carb outrage in our society, right? Nothing wrong with bread. He could have done it. He could have, like, bam, and it could have become, like, one of those Amazing baskets of dinner rolls from Outback Steakhouse. You know, those ones they pour butter over and and they sprinkle that cinnamon and sugar, and I think they put just a little bit of crack cocaine right on top, just so you want a little bit more. But Jesus could have done that. He could have, boom, that's what I want. I'll actually take four baskets because I've been fasting for 40 days. It would have been totally okay for him to do. But what Satan was doing was this, is he was taking something good and he was trying to make Jesus make it ultimate. He was trying to say, Jesus, why don't you submit to me? Why don't you do what I tell you to do? Jesus, why don't you take something good and make it ultimate? But Jesus is so single-minded. He has one goal. He has one mission. and So he doesn't allow it to distract him. Temptation number one that you and I face, we can relate to this. It's allowing something good to become something ultimate. Have you ever noticed that sometimes you can do this? It's loving the gifts of God more than God himself. Verse 4, it says this. It says, Jesus answered, it is written... Man shall not live on bread alone. And what Jesus was doing, he was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8. It even goes further in there. It says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, Jesus is saying, hey, there's nothing wrong with this bread, but I want you to know I'm committed to the word of God and the promises of God. And those things are ultimate, not me following you right now, Satan. Think for a second, though, about the good things that can be tempting to become ultimate things. Think for about what those might be in your own life. Sometimes I think we can be so focused on, oh, that's so evil. And it's, the things that are evil are pretty clear, right? But sometimes it's actually too much of good things that can kill us, that can distract us. Um, success. Take this for an example. Is there anything wrong with success? No. I think Christians should be the, the, the people that are most passionate about being successful. I think you should be the people that you work the hardest in your workplaces. I think we should be the people that it's known of us. We've been entrusted with gifts from God, and we better use those to the best of our ability, to the glory of God. We should give our all to that. But when success becomes your goal and not the God that you desire to honor with it, that's when there's a problem. How about money? There's nothing wrong with money, is there? No, there's nothing wrong with money. But if it becomes like this, if I only had X, oh, then my soul would be satisfied. That's taking something good and it's making it ultimate. How about marriage? It's a good thing, isn't it? But marriage surely is not ultimate. If you make your spouse ultimate, that is a weight that they cannot bear. Only God can bear that. Intimacy in marriage, is it a good thing? Of course it's a good thing. It's encouraged in the scriptures. Is it everything? No. How about kids? They're a blessing from God, right? But should kids rule your life if you're a parent? No. Should your entire schedule in life revolve around them all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time? This is convicting. No, it shouldn't. And if if it does, you know what that might be an indicator of? It might be an indicator that they've gone from good to ultimate, and that's not good for them or you. If I'm going to be battle ready, I've got to see the gifts of God as gifts, but the gifts of God cannot dwarf God himself. Verse 5, we'll pick up the pace. Temptation to This one resol- revolves really around power and authority and control. The devil, it says, led him up to a high place. He showed him in an instant all the kingdom of, kingdoms of the world. Kind of Try to imagine that. Imagine what the scene was like. And he said to him, I will give you all, all their authority and their splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone that I want. If you worship me, it will be it will all be yours. This, was, this temptation here was for Jesus to have all the nations obey him. That's a good thing. To have all the nations say, Jesus, you're the one. We give you honor and splendor and glory. Jesus was fully entitled to that, but not upon the request of Satan. Temptation two is this. It's pursuing something God-honoring in a dishonoring way. Particularly when Christine and I, when we were first married, we had this goal. You know, we came into marriage with the goal together, and that was to have a great marriage. That was our goal. That was our desire. And to be honest, we both brought our, share of, our own share of junk into our marriage from, you know, our past and things. And, um, but here's what I learned. I didn't learn it early on, but I, I began to learn it, I should say. I learned that it was good to have the goal of God-honoring marriage, the best marriage possible, but I went about it the wrong way. You know what I did? I started to look at her faults more than my own. And I became pretty critical. And I hate to say it, but it took me, I wasn't a newlywed anymore when I realized that that was maybe a lot of the, the problem with the problems that we were experiencing. I was overcritical. I was like, wow, just so focused on, on her and her faults and blah, blah, blah. You know what I should have been doing? And there's a reason why they call them blind spots, because you're blind to them, folks. You know what I should have been doing? I should have been asking questions like, where am I blind to my own issues? Help me see those. And I should have been more focused on, okay, God, who's the man that you're calling me to be? Because I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but if you focus on you and who God wants you to be, all of a sudden these other things start to kind of work themselves out. It's amazing kind of how that works. And so I began to see that. Verse 8, it says this. It says, Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Put him first. Put him center. Don't try to control. Church, don't try to manipulate relationships. If I'm going to be battle ready, I've got to put him front and center, and that starts with me. That starts with me. It doesn't start with my friend. It doesn't start with my spouse. It doesn't start with my kids. That will all work itself out as we seek to put him first. Verse 9, last one. Temptation number 3. This is a big one. It's doubting the faithfulness of God. Doubting the faithfulness of God. Verse 9, the devil led him to Jerusalem. That's a big deal. And had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, now Satan is quoting scripture here. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. And they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Satan is saying to Jesus, Jesus, if, you, if God really loved you, if you threw yourself down from here, he would catch you. But Jesus, if you suffer, it's a sign that God doesn't love you and that he's not actually for you. Think about what Jesus was gonna, Jesus was gonna go to the cross. I mean, he was gonna ultimately suffer. Think about the power of this lie. When you and I, when we doubt the faithfulness of God, you've seen this happen in your own life. It limits the power of God in your life. It makes you play it safe. Where you are about to risk for the kingdom of God, you don't risk. Where you're about to take a step into an uncomfortable zone that you thought God was leading you into, you don't do it anymore. You doubt the faithfulness of God. You go through a trial, if you're doubting the faithfulness of God, you begin to wonder, does God actually against me? Because your circumstances begin to dictate your perception of God. And that makes you doubt the faithfulness of God. But if you trust the faithfulness of God, think about times in your life where you've, you've just said, God, you're faithful. I'm going to just keep going. I know this is right. I'm just going to keep moving forward. You know what you do in those moments when you're battle ready, when you, when you have that kind of mentality? You press in. You might get set back, but you don't get sidelined. You don't quit. You, you keep going. You say, hey, I'm going to live boldly. Hey, I'm going to share the hope that I have in Christ because I I believe in the promises of God. God's been faithful to me. You remind yourself of that. We can't miss this though, church. Notice what Satan does a second time here. Look at what he does in verse 9. It says, if you are the son of God, once again, Jesus, Jesus, who are you? Are you really God's son? Because Jesus, if you're God's son, he'll catch you in this moment. Jesus, if you are God's son, he will catch you in this moment, but Jesus knows this. Jesus is saying to himself, we know this to be true, I trust the faithfulness of my God, and I trust the faithfulness of who he is based on his promises, not based on the temptation here of Satan. Verse 12, Jesus answered, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. So to recap, three things. Satan tempts us to allow something good to become something ultimate. Can you see any of those in our lives, in your life? Number two, Satan says, hey, I want you to pursue something God-honoring. That's perfect, but do it in a dishonoring way. Number three, doubt the promises, doubt the faithfulness of God. You know, last night I I read a headline. It, It said this. It said, nine dead... Nearly a million without power as Florence continues to assault the Carolinas. And as I saw that and uh, I thought though immediately about all the things that I'd seen leading up to that headline. Did you notice like for a week, maybe even a week and a half, did you notice what the news was filled with? It was filled with people preparing for battle. It was, it was filled with people preparing for this storm. We got some pictures of this. We had people, what were they doing? They were buying generators. They were filling sandbags. They were, you know, buying bottled water. They were clearing the shelves. I mean, the shelves were empty. They were boarding up their windows. They were doing all this sort of thing. Why? Because they knew there's a storm coming. The storm's going to hit on Thursday, and we need to be ready. And so they did all these things, and they got ready. They were battle ready. They were, they were ready to go. They've evacuated all these things. I want to close by this. I want to close by giving you two weapons, two things that I believe that Jesus used in this text. Because here's the thing. You and I, we don't just experience storms like that. You and I, we really do. We have to be aware of this. You live in the middle of a spiritual battle. And the more that you desire to lean into Satan, the more that you need to know, I need to rely on the weapons that God has given me. I cannot go into this battle alone. I cannot desire for my kids to go into this battle alone or those I love. So notice these two things. If you're taking notes, two weapons that Jesus used to fight the battle that Satan put before him. Number one, the Spirit of God. You have access to the same Spirit that Jesus had access to. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, don't underestimate the power of God in in you, like when you call out to God, He is there. Like when you, when you go into a meeting, you go into your home, you go into the field, whatever it is, the Spirit of God is alive and well in you. When you feel tempted, the Spirit of God is alive and well still in you. You can call on God Himself. The Gospels say that it was actually good for Jesus to go because what, what came? The Holy Spirit came. That was actually good for us because He dwells in us. I was at a soccer game yesterday and for one of our kids, and, and there were... Um, the field adjacent to us, there was a coach, and he was coaching these kids. I mean, they couldn't have been four years old. I mean, they were seriously this tall. I mean, the ball was like half their height almost, and, 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 and he was, you could tell he was good. You could tell he knew what he was doing. He was a good coach. Uh, if I had to guess, this guy grew up playing soccer, And it was so interesting, though, just to watch him coach these kids, and he just kept encouraging them. I mean, the kids literally could kick the ball like two feet, and and he'd say, oh, good kick, good kick. And and he just kept encouraging them along, and, and just we walked with them, and the kids were like looking up at him and looking up at him and looking up at him. Know this, the Holy Spirit lives in you, and if you'll be coachable, he'll coach you, he'll lead you. He'll speak encouragement into you. He'll remind you of the truth that you need to know. The Holy Spirit is alive and well. Number two is this. It's the word of God. The next weapon that we have is the word of God. Jesus clung to God's word. When you ask this question, okay, how can I combat the lies of Satan? You and I have got to cling to God's word. We gave you this card. Why don't you take this out real quick? It was on your seat when you came in. We want you to be able to leave with something today that's just so practical for you. You got lies on the left. You got truths on the right. first lie is this. If it feels good, just do it. That's a lie. Satan will tell you that, though. You know what the truth is? 1 Corinthians 6. The end of that verse there, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. That truth, if you say that truth, it's not like magic happens and all of a sudden you're not tempted. That's not how it works. But what it does do is it informs you of who God is. It reminds you of who God is. It reminds you of who you are. Next one. Think of yourself first. Oh, this is a great one. In humility, it says, Philippians 2, consider others better than yourselves. You put that in your mind and it'll transform your actions and your character. Next one uh, God doesn't love me. Oh, that's such a lie. That's crazy making. There's nothing it says that's able to separate you and I from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Skip down a little bit. My sin isn't that big of a deal. That's a lie. Romans 6, for the wages of sin is death. That means eternal separation from God. Here it is, though. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Next one. I can't have victory over my sin. Oh, that's not true. First Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has seized you except for what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. This is beautiful. He won't even let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. God, I, God can't forgive me again. Oh, that's a lie. If you can... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He'll forgive us. He'll draw us right back to himself. Last one there, my situation is hopeless. That's not true. Don't grow weary in doing good, for at the proper time you will reap a harvest. Over and over again, you look through the scriptures. I was in a group this morning, and they were praying over me, and one of the gals said this. She just said this psalm, Psalm 121. She said, I look to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Boom, what'd she do? She took what she needed. God's word. And she said, This needs to speak truth into this moment. I need help, God. And where do I look? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Church, let's pray right now and let's just say, God, we come to you and we just say, Lord, would the lies of Satan be combated by the truth of who you are? Lord, I pray that when we face temptation, Lord, we are not just out there alone, but we are battle ready. We're the kind of church that we look to your word. We look to the spirit of God alive and well in us. And Lord, we see it do amazing things. And we see us being, see ourselves being able to continue to press on, to be, continue to be reminded you are a chosen child of the living God. Lord, I pray that if there are things that, have become, that are good, that they have become ultimate. God, we confess that to you right now. That's a temptation we face. Lord, I pray for the person that's never made you ultimate. If that's you this morning, would you cry out to the living God? And would you just say to him, I make you ultimate. You are now on the throne of my life. You are the leader of my life. Would you declare that to be true today? Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your claims. We thank you for your truth. And most of all, we thank you that you stayed the course. You bore the wrath of God so that we might experience his grace. We love you, Lord. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.